Uh, We'll be reading Romans 13, verse 1 to 7. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. Hi everyone, my name's Nat, I'm one of the ministers here at Carlton and it's really lovely to be with you this evening. A special welcome if you're visiting tonight, we're really glad to have you with us and hope you can stay afterwards for tea and coffee and maybe even for pizza. Well, we're looking tonight at Romans 13 that Helen just read for us and I think it seems really appropriate to be thinking about this passage about governing authorities in a year when Victorians have the opportunity to vote in not one but two elections. I know not everyone here might be eligible to vote in Australian elections but even if you're not eligible to to vote you're probably aware of the elections happening and of campaigning taking place when they do. Our family lives in a really interesting electorate for both the federal and state elections. So in the federal election, we are in the electorate of Kuyong. So our former member of parliament was Josh Frydenberg, the former treasurer, and our current member of parliament is Monique Ryan, one of the Teal Independents. And it was a really interesting time to live around our place during the election campaign. Neighbours had posters up of Josh facing off with Monique. Uh, I don't know how neighbourly relations went through that time. Uh, Every weekend at the supermarket there was uh, no shortage of political campaigners to chat to on your way in. Uh, We were door knocked numbers of times and on the actual day of the election I have never seen so many rows of posters, the same face, row after row after row. Uh, The state election is about three months away. Uh, Three weeks ago, both the Labor candidate and the Liberal candidate were outside the supermarket I went shopping on uh, on a Saturday morning. So it's all heating up again where we live. But it's not just uh, a year with two elections that makes this passage really interesting one right now. I think two years of the pandemic has really ramped up political feeling, uh, partly in Victoria but partly in Australia and around the world. Uh, In Victoria, you might remember some of the hashtags that were being shared on social media. Uh, We had hashtag I stand with Dan. We also had hashtag dictator Dan. 
so, uh, shows us some of the feeling that people had through that time. The federal government also had vocal supporters and vocal detractors. I think COVID brought to the surface lots of questions that people have about political power and how governments exercise it. There are also questions being asked globally at the moment. There's lots of reflection happening about Western democracies and whether they're a good thing, whether they're doing a good job. Uh, there are people who are feeling uncertain about uh, things happening in our region, China and their role and the role of other countries in our region. People are anxious about the war in Ukraine and what Russia is doing there. As well as that, I think lots of people are cynical about governments and other public authorities and maybe some of us feel like that as well. So I think this passage is really pertinent in that bigger context. Uh, as we had it read for us, maybe it seems naive and a bit simplistic. Maybe it seems outdated. Maybe you have some questions after hearing Helen read Romans 13. As we begin, I want to acknowledge that not all of us have had the same experiences of government and authority in our lives. Some of us might have lived overseas for part of our life uh, or for most of our life and that might have given you a different experience of government and authority. Some of us have lived in Australia for most of our lives and that will shape how we respond to this passage as well. So tonight we're going to try and identify the principles that we see in Romans 13 and then think about how those look for us practically as we relate to governments and other authorities, whoever they might be. And I think the big question that this passage informs us in asking is how should Christians relate to government? How should Christians relate to government? So let's look together at the passage now. It's in your handout if you pick that up on the way in. Uh, and in some ways, this passage isn't super complex. Verse 1 and verse 5 articulate the big idea pretty clearly. So verse 1, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. And then verse 5, it is necessary to submit to the authorities. There's not actually a lot of wriggle room here. This is addressed to everyone in verse 1. And lest we think Paul was just having a bad day when he wrote this chapter, we find the same thought elsewhere in the New Testament. So in Titus chapter 3, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. And then again in 1 Peter chapter 2, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. So there's the big idea, submit to governing authorities. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be subject to them, to submit to them? And who are these governing authorities that we're meant to submit to? One writer, David Peterson, writes that submission to a regime means acknowledging the authority of its representatives to fulfil the roles ascribed to them not endorsing every policy or action they pursue. Which is really helpful, I think. We don't have to agree with everything a government does, an authority does. We don't have to agree with every policy they subscribe to. But we're called to acknowledge that they have authority to fulfil a particular role in our society. They have authority to shape public behaviour. 
So who are the governing authorities that Paul is writing about here? In the first century Roman uh, government system, they had a whole range of imperial and local officers. So some local, some kind of at a bigger picture imperial level. For us today in Australia, I think this includes our three levels of government, local, state and federal. It includes authorities like the police, the tax office, the judicial system, uh, other public service bodies carrying out the functions of government. So there it is, the big idea, submit to the governing authorities, which means obey the government, obey the law. One writer said, the problem with this passage is not its opaqueness, but its clarity, its plain and unqualified call for submission. And maybe you feel that problem. What if a government authority is corrupt? What if it's oppressive? What if it's a dictatorship? What if a governing authority calls you to behaviour that's in conflict with your Christian faith? What if you just think a government's made a really silly law? Should we submit to governing authorities in those circumstances? Well, let's hold those questions for a while because in the rest of this passage, Paul gives us some reasons to encourage us to submit to governing authorities. So we'll look at those reasons first and then come back to some of these questions. The first reason Paul gives us for submitting to governing authorities is that they are established by God. Have a look again at verses 1 and 2. First he says it negatively, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. Then he emphasises by saying it positively, the authorities that exist have been established by God. And then a conclusion that reiterates the point again. He wants us to hear this. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Our governments, our local councils, our police, our court systems, other authorities have been established by God. Now, just for a moment, imagine saying this publicly. Imagine someone in the media writing this. They'd be laughed at, wouldn't they? They'd be ridiculed. Most politicians would scorn the idea that God had anything to do with their role in public life. And maybe we also balk a bit at this idea for different reasons. Maybe we balk at this idea that God has put the governing authorities in place when we uh, look at the quality of governments and authorities around the world. It's not hard to find examples of governments doing a bad job, uh, of, of corruption, of governments who are violent, of oppression at the hands of authorities. Surely if God is the one who establishes the authorities, they would be doing a better job. Well, it's helpful to know that Paul wasn't writing in some kind of utopian society. He wasn't writing in a theocracy even where God was publicly acknowledged as king. Paul was writing in the mid-50s AD uh, when Nero was in his early years of reigning as emperor of the Roman Empire. Now, some of Nero's reign was quite tyrannical. Uh, from what I've read, the early years were a little bit better than that. But still, even in his early years as emperor, the system was full of injustice and uh, there was a lot of imperial arrogance involved in his rule. And in that context, 
Paul can still write that Nero, in his role as Roman emperor, had been established by God. Whether they are good or evil, the Bible's testimony is that governments are established by God. And so what we see here, I think, is the idea that government is a form of common grace that God has given us. God uses human rulers to provide justice, to provide order and civility for the peoples who are governed by them. Uh, A writer called Move says that government is an institution established by God to accomplish some of his purposes on earth. That doesn't mean that any one particular government always does the right thing, but rather that order through government is part of God's purpose for our world. And that is true whether or not a particular leader recognises that God has established them in their role. Just for a moment, think of the alternative to government. Without government, we would have chaos and disorder. We'd have anarchy. We'd have unrestrained violence. Imperfect justice is better than no justice at all. And so we thank God for governing authorities. As Alex mentioned a little bit earlier, on Friday morning we woke up to the news that Queen Elizabeth II had died at Balmoral, her home in Scotland. She reigned for 70 years, the longest reigning monarch on the British throne. In my family growing up, uh, sitting around the TV at 7 o'clock on Christmas night to listen to the Queen's message was one of our Christmas traditions. And in her very first Christmas message in 1952, which I wasn't around to hear, uh, just to be clear, just before she was crowned as Queen, uh, she requested prayer for her upcoming coronation. This is what she said. I want to ask you all to pray for me on that day, to pray that God may give me wisdom and strength to carry out the solemn promises I shall be making and that I may faithfully serve him and you all the days of my life. Queen Elizabeth was one leader who had a really clear understanding that God had established her in her role and that she carried out her role under God. Given that, what we, uh, given that we learn here that rulers are established by God, one really practical response for us is to pray for them. Uh, Queen Elizabeth asked for prayer and uh, elsewhere in the New Testament we read Paul's encouragement in 1 Timothy 2 that we might be people who pray for those in authority. Paul says there, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So sisters and brothers, we are to submit to the governing authorities because they're established by God and we're to pray for them for the same reason. Secondly, we read here that we're to submit to governing authorities because they are God's servants to reward good and to punish evil. We see that uh, through verses 2 to 5. Let me read those again. Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted 
and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities. So for those who do wrong, God has provided rulers to bring punishment. That happens here in Australia through our court system uh, and through other civic authorities. For those who do right, rulers are God's servants to bring commendation. Now, we've already flagged that sometimes we get justice wrong, humanly speaking. And some countries are much worse than Australia in this regard. So how do we think about that? And does it mean that we can just disobey the governments or the court system, the police system, if they are getting things wrong? Let's put a few pieces of an answer together in place here. First of all, it's really helpful to remember that Paul was well aware of the imperfections of human authorities. We know from the book of Acts that Paul himself suffered injustices uh, from Roman officials. But still, Paul never encouraged civil disobedience or a program of political subversion. And what Paul outlines here is really God's blueprint for governing authorities, what God has designed them to be. They are meant to bring justice for their people. But sin tarnishes how governments function, just as sin tarnishes our own lives. That impact of sin, though, doesn't mean that we automatically stop obeying governing authorities. Secondly, human authorities are only one part of the picture of God avenging evil. We will only experience perfect justice when Jesus returns to reign in all his fullness. When we experience justice now, it's just a little taste of the perfect justice that Jesus will bring when, when he returns. One writer said this, the judgment of the state against evildoers in history anticipates the eschatological judgment of God at the end of history. We can look forward to true justice, the true justice that Jesus will bring when he returns. And thirdly, and maybe oddly, we see in the Bible that God often uses pagan authorities. He uses Nebuchadnezzar, we read in Daniel. He uses Cyrus, we read in Isaiah. He used Pilate for his purposes, we read in the Gospels. Even pagan and cruel rulers are used by God to achieve his purposes. So there are a few thoughts about how we respond to the sin of human authorities and about why their imperfections don't mean that we can disobey. But I think there's another way of thinking about this as well, a more constructive way maybe, reflecting on this role of government in restraining wrong and in rewarding good, which is that we want to encourage Christians to be involved in that process, to be involved in processes of government. There is so much potential for good when Christians are involved in politics, when they work in the police force, when they're involved in the judicial system. 
as Christians respond to God's mercy by offering him our lives, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And when that happens, we can make a huge difference to how governing authorities operate in our country, how they operate in restraining wrong and rewarding good. We thought a little bit about how sin impacts the function of governing authorities, but I don't think we can ignore our own sin either. Now, I'm going to think a little bit about driving. There are lots of other examples we could use, but let's just dig down a little bit uh, and think with me about this. I wonder uh, how many of us in this room have slowed down when we see a police car on the road near us. Anyone slowed down? Yeah. Uh, the other day I was driving, people were going like 30 or 40. They dramatically slowed down and I didn't understand why till I saw the police car a little bit later. Now there are lots of reasons we might slow down if we see a police car. But one of them is, well for me, this little niggling fear that maybe I was actually speeding. Maybe I was going too fast. Now when I'm driving, I can assure you that I'm not sitting there thinking about how God has provided good governments to make road rules to keep me and other people safe. What I'm often thinking about is how I can get to where I'm going on time, whether the Google Maps estimate of the time of arrival is actually going to be accurate. I'm thinking about how I could have probably left five minutes earlier to stop me feeling stressed about getting where I'm trying to go. Sometimes I kind of think, mm, does it really matter if I go a little bit faster, if I go a bit over the speed limit but not too much, I probably won't get caught, there's not a speed camera here, uh, I don't want to incriminate myself too much. Uh, but uh, those are some of my underlying assumptions. But think about Romans 12 verse 2 again. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The pattern of this world is to minimise something like a speeding offence. It doesn't really matter. Mostly no one gets hurt. Although when there's a tragic speeding accident, like we heard about this week, then we're reminded it does really matter. And sometimes people really do get hurt or die. But if we're transformed by the renewing of our minds in response to God's mercy to us in Christ, then we're reminded that speed limits are God's provision to us to keep people safe on the roads. I'm reminded that my impatience to get somewhere half a minute earlier by speeding is actually just selfishness and deserving of a fine. So if I get a fine, I shouldn't try and wriggle out of it, but just pay it because I deserve it. We're to submit to governing authorities because they are established by God. And we're to submit to governing authorities because they are God's servants to reward good and punish evil. Thirdly, we see here we're to submit to governing authorities as a matter of conscience at the end of verse 5. So I think what this means is that those who know about God uh, those who know God's will about subjecting themselves to governing authorities should actually do it. Now this verse doesn't mean our conscience as a kind of independent form of guidance. It's addressing us as people whose consciences are shaped by scripture and by the Holy Spirit. 
who are it's addressing us as people who are being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Because God has shaped the world with governments and authorities in place, therefore we should submit to their authority. And we submit to their authority within the framework of Romans 12, 1 and 2, where service to God with renewed minds is the Christian's primary calling. Uh, Tim Keller writes about this and he says, the gospel gives us a standard by which to oppose human authority if it contradicts the gospel, as well as an incentive to obey the civil authorities from the heart, even when we could get away with disobedience. So a gospel-shaped conscience encourages heart obedience to civil authorities most of the time. Not just perfunctory obedience, but heart obedience because we know that these authorities are established by God. A gospel-shaped conscience in a democracy like ours will also be aware that there are legitimate ways of addressing injustices. Uh, There are legitimate ways of removing unjust officials. There are legitimate ways of seeking redress that are open to us. So there's a real challenge here for us to advance the welfare of society by holding elected or appointed representatives accountable for their behaviour. A gospel-shaped conscience will motivate us to vote with discernment. A gospel-shaped conscience will motivate us to engage positively in public debate. And sometimes a gospel-shaped conscience might lead us to oppose human authority if it contradicts God and the gospel. We see this principle in Acts chapter 5 where the Sanhedrin arrested the apostles and gave them strict orders not to speak about the name of Jesus, not to teach in his name. And so Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. So with that proviso in mind, we've seen where to submit to the governing authorities because they're established by God, because they are God's servants to bring good Uh, to reward good and to uh, punish evil. We're to submit to the governing authorities as a matter of conscience. And finally, we're to submit to give what we owe in verses 6 and 7. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. These verses encourage us to pay taxes. They're really practical. Our council rates, whatever else we owe. And not to pay them begrudgingly, but to pay them because we pay God's servants who govern our country. That's a pretty big challenge to transform our minds, I think, for most of us in the way that we think about taxes. But this isn't just about finances. It's also about our attitudes towards politicians, police officers, judges, uh, others working in government roles. I don't know about you, but the kind of respect and honour that these verses speak about seems often quite absent Uh, from how we talk about public officials in Australia. Uh, Think about our attitudes to governments and and political leaders. I think we're pretty partisan. That's how we ended up with those hashtags uh, over the course of COVID. 
often uh, public discourse and private conversation about politicians is really rude. We're really hypercritical. We're often unwilling to admit that the issues that politicians are dealing with are hugely complicated and difficult. That's the pattern of this world. Do we conform to that pattern in our attitudes towards political leaders? Or are we, in response to God's mercy, being transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we respect our political leaders? Here in Romans 13, Paul renews our minds by telling us that the governing authorities are established by God. Daniel Andrews and his government, Anthony Albanese and his government, before him, Scott Morrison and his government, whether we vote left or right or independent, should have no bearing on the respect that we show our political leaders. They are established by God. We owe them our respect. So how might this passage change the way that we think about our political leaders, the way that we talk about them, what we post on our social media? This passage encourages us to submit to the governing authorities that God has put in place. But we do all of this with a much bigger picture in mind. One of my Facebook friends wrote a blog post on Friday morning. He called it, The Day the Queen Met the King. It's a really fitting reflection for Queen Elizabeth who knew the one true King, Jesus. All of our questions about the difficulties of submitting to imperfect human authorities are answered when we remember that one day Jesus will return in all of his glory. He will return as the perfectly just King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When he returns, all wrongs will be righted, all injustices will be overcome. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, God offers us a king like no other, a king whose rule is perfect and and who claims our allegiance. He is a king we live under now and he is a king whose return we wait for in hope. Romans 13 encourages us while we wait not to ignore government because we know Jesus is king. Romans 13 encourages us while we wait not to seek to bring about revolution to make God's kingdom come. Romans 13 encourages us while we wait that we live in the intersection of the ages where Jesus is king but not yet fully revealed. And so we live under the earthly authority of the governing authorities whom the King of Kings has put in place. So let me pray now as we finish up. God, we thank you so much that Jesus is our King. We thank you that we live with him as our King now. We thank you that as we wait for his return, he has given us governments to bring order in our society. And we pray, God, that we might live lives subject to those governments in honour of you and the servants that you've put in place over us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.